So last week, we left off after question 18. We were ready to look at question 19. Now you might remember the verses involved there are verses 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, I'm sorry, we are in 1 James chapter 1. I mean, we're in James chapter 1, <laughs> like those multiple James. But anyway, we're in James chapter 1, and uh, we're down towards the end of that chapter. In this case, we're looking at verses 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So question 19 is, what is one like who hears the word but does not do it? Right, someone who looks in the mirror sees their condition, sees what a mess they are in, what what they are in, and yet they go away and they don't do anything about it, right? That was one of uh, one of my notes on this is is this is implying an examination of ourselves. Yes, Pat. Right. Okay, sorry. Is that this is implying an examination of ourselves and looking at the condition we are in? and recognizing that condition and going on from there. Yes? And that mirror is the Word of God. Right, and when you look at it that way, the mirror is the Word of God. Because who, who are we supposed to be representing? Who are we supposed to be growing into and like? But the Lord, right? So, does anyone have anything else on that? Because I was going to... I was going to say this whole, this whole, uh, the way this is referred to, like a man looking into a mirror, sometimes that sounds kind of strange or mysterious. It doesn't, doesn't readily make me think of what we've talked about here, saying, well, we're examining ourselves and looking at the condition we're in and comparing that to the Lord and the Word of God to see how we fit in that. Yes. It makes you think of Jesus when he uh, used the parables. James is doing the same thing. He's taking something we're used to seeing. It is like a parable because, yeah, he's using a, a normal, everyday thing that we are used to using and seeing. Yeah, so it is like that. It's a good uh, common day comparison, but for some reason to me sometimes it, it sounds a little confusing. But it seems like everybody gets that. Um, if we look at question 20... Who will be truly blessed in what they do? The one who does God's word, does the word, lives by is the one who's blessed. We just don't hear it or see it and go away and forget it. We have to live by it and we'll be blessed by Right. The one who is not a hearer only or not a forgetful hearer, but an actual doer of the word, right? Someone who actually does the work. And it says uh, also, the verse here says, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. So, and that has to do with continuing in 
the law that the Lord has given us, right? Does anyone have anything else on that? Because the law that he's given us, of course, is the law of love, right? James is going to get into that, but uh, I just wanted to remind us what law we're referring to, because we're not referring to, like, the Ten Commandments. We do end up fulfilling all of that, but we actually follow the law of love that the Lord gave us. All right. So we want to read verses 26 and 27, which are for our next couple of uh, questions. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So if we look at question 21, whose religion is useless? Right, the one who does not control his tongue because that's representative of like you're getting at by saying it affects other parts of your life that you're not actually controlling yourself with the word, right? Matt? And specifically someone who thinks they're religious, like, hey, I, I brought this down, but, but in fact, in their behavior, they're maybe lying and being, saying mean things to people or whatever. They're not really living. Right, that's a good point because it says the one who thinks... They are religious, but does not bridle their tongue. So yeah, if they think they're religious, but they're not actually acting that out or following that up correctly. Yes? We understand what a bridle is for on a horse. And if you get on a horse and you don't have a bridle, the horse is going to go anywhere it wants to go. It can. So what we're going to do, we're going to go any way we want to go without having the word to guide us to where to go. Right. We have to have that bridle, just like with a horse, you have to have a bridle to steer it. Just like you're saying, we have to bridle our tongue to control ourselves so that we don't just go any way we want, so that we steer steer ourselves properly. So I guess in that case, that bridle should be... Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Right. What's what's on our hearts is what comes out, and and Jesus did say that what basically what we put out there that's you know that shows what our the condition of our heart is, and so. If we're not bridling our tongue, it says, and deceives his own heart. So we may be deceiving ourselves, but we're not really deceiving the Lord with that, right? So it shows the condition of our heart by what we say and what we speak. Does anybody have anything else? 
and, and our actions also. But here we're talking about that specifically. So question 22, what is pure and undefiled religion before God? And there's really two things you should, you could say there's three, but there's really two things. Well, the first one that they mention here is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Now, why would that be? This is just like a bonus extra question. Why? Because those are usually the people who need help, who need encouragement, who need financial help, or whatever they need. And they need someone to be looking after them. They are the ones that really need help, right? They, they don't have any resources of themselves, usually. Now, I admit there's exceptions to that, but we're looking in general, and especially back, remember, their time, sometimes women were not even permitted to own anything, so a widow would really be in poor shape. And uh, an orphan, of course, would not have anything. So, right? Yes? The verse preceding that says, this one's religion is useless. And then the last part of this sentence is, keep oneself unspotted. Years ago, Larry and I had the opportunity to hear Cecil Willis debate uh, Clifton Inman on uh, the church supporting orphan homes and uh, different hospitals and things. And this was brought out. It's not the church's duty, it's oneself. We have that personally. Just like we're supposed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's our responsibility, not the church in a whole. There's actually no distinction here in whether it's all Christians or an individual Christian. We all have this duty at all times. Yes? I think that uh, part of the idea here is the way Jesus Right. There's a lot of things we can do to help people, and, and this is getting along with, with what you're saying as far as we are supposed to help others, and we're supposed to be that light and that help to others. And one thing I had noted about this is if you think about it in their society, widows and orphans, they were not going to have any way to repay you. They were not going to be able to give you anything back except love. That's all they could give you is appreciation and love. And they may not even always give you that. Did you have something, Matt? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, a lot of translations here say to visit the orphans and widows. Um, and I think a lot of our comments have amplified what that means, because that we could misunderstand that thing. So, okay, so what I need to do is go and go over to their house and say hi <laughs> and visit them. Um, but some translations will say, uh, 
uh, to to care for them or to uh, to look after them, which is maybe more a literal literal translation, that we need to take care of their needs. And of all the comments, I think we made that point, but I think that word can sometimes confuse us and maybe seem less than what's really understood. Yeah, that's a good point because it does say to visit them. But it also says visit them in their trouble. So if you're visiting someone in trouble, hopefully you're going to help them and not make it worse, right? So, but yeah, I, I bet there are probably better translations of the word <laughs> than just visit. Because we should be doing more than visit, definitely. Now, the second part, which Pat actually mentioned the second part of this, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's the, that's the part two of this. Because it says, what is pure and undefiled religion before God was the question in these two things, right? So how do we keep ourselves unspotted? Don't get involved in the things of the world. Don't get involved in the things of the world, right? There's a lot of things that we can get involved in that's not good for us. That's of the world. Or we can stick to God's word and do what he says and leave the rest of it alone. Right. We should, we should leave the things of the world, especially the things that are not of God, alone. We should stay away from those, right? Where it says to keep oneself, um, that implies like a guarding and a taking care of or attending to carefully, like to keep watch over your soul, to really... Keep us from being polluted. When it says unspotted, you could think of that as being polluted. To keep yourself from being polluted, I mean. So, how we would do that, of course, is by studying the Word, right? By knowing. We have to know what's of the world and what's of God. We have to know what's okay for us and what's not, right? So, we have to learn that. Yes? That has that that really has to do with the again back to the condition of our hearts and realizing that we have more and we should be giving and helping others and truthfully if you're busy doing the Lord's work you're not going to have time for some of the other stuff right I mean that sounds however it sounds but that's true um, as you get more interested in doing things for the Lord then you kind of lose interest in doing some of the other things that maybe you've done in the past. Does anyone have anything else on that? All right. So if we move on to chapter 2, and we look here, we can look at their summary. I might shrink that just a little bit. There we go. In this chapter, we first find a call to hold the faith of Jesus Christ without partiality 
Evidently, some were displaying favoritism toward the rich in their assemblies while despising the poor, showing respect of persons made one a judge with evil thoughts, and James provides several reasons why such prejudice was unbecoming of those who believe in Jesus and worthy of condemnation. James then addresses the relationship between faith and works, especially the folly of professing faith when unaccompanied by works, using several examples to make his point, including those of Abraham, the friend of God, and Rahab the harlot, James declares three times that faith without works is dead. So those are, those are the things, this is like his summary of the chapter, and this is, these are the things we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at not showing partiality, prefer, no, not showing preference to the rich and why we shouldn't. We're going to look at uh, true religion that shows faith through works. Faith without works cannot save. Faith without, faith without works is dead. So I'm going to just cap that with the, the main points of the chapter before we read our first verses here. The main points of the chapter, like you mentioned above, are that true religion does not show partiality. We do not show favoritism. If you think of that as favoritism and prejudice, that's really the more normal words we would use for that today. And then true religion shows faith through works. So I want to start off reading the first 13 verses of James chapter 2 because really all of this ties in very nicely all together and all the questions will flow into these first 13 verses. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine and that could be bright or clean apparel. And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Pardon me. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name, that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So that's the first part of this chapter. And we have these questions 2 through 10 that are relating back to these verses. So if we look at question 2, 
with what is one not to hold the faith of our Lord Jesus. Now, that's phrased kind of oddly, but I think we know what they're referring to. All right. So if we look at that, we're not supposed to have partiality, right? We're not supposed to have prejudice or favoritism. And that verse, even that verse is kind of written a little, a little odd because of the, the way it's structured. Probably a little better or at least a little clearer in my mind way of saying it would be do not show favoritism as you keep the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, that was just from looking at some different things. If, if that word partiality throws you off or if just the structure of that first verse is a little odd. So, so what is this favoritism or prejudice that we're not supposed to hold? What is that? What's that like? I'm afraid most of us, including me and everybody else, the people who have influence and are richer and set an example of having so much, we favor them more than we do the poor man that cannot do anything for you. Ah, uh, we favor the rich person that we think can do more for us than the poor person who we don't really think they can do anything for us. Yeah. That's that's a good point. That's true. Yes. Many times we want to interact and have a conversation with that person. Maybe they're a celebrity or they're well-known or what have you. And then we go around writing, guess who I met today? Guess who I talked to? As if we're like... Something so special because we met, we ran into the governor or the mayor of town or whatever. Well, I didn't even think about that, but that's true. Sometimes people get all excited to meet that rich person or to interact with them, and it gives them kind of a bragging point of their own. Yes, Pat? You know, we're talking about uh, how we are influenced by the richer person, but we're to be the influence, like Jesus said to Poor. Right, we should be the we influence. We should not be selfish in the fact that we're trying to have somebody do for us. We're supposed to be doing for the other person. Right, our focus should not be on having someone do for us, but on us doing for others. Right, that is that's right. So, does anybody have? Do you have anything, Matt? All sorts of things could play. You know, racism. We could we could look at someone else different. They're different. Mm -hmm. well, I'm not, I don't want to help them. Or, or the obviously the economic difference we're talking about rich and poor here, uh, all these different things that are differences. They shouldn't divide us. Yeah, they often do. Right. So yeah, all the differences, and they used richer the rich people and the poor people as a good example. But it could fall along the lines of uh, prejudice on outward appearances or superficial things that we know about somebody that would cause us to prejudge them. Yes. Right. No matter what language, it, even if it's a deaf person, if someone can't hear, you can recognize body language and a smile. If you're welcoming rather than, you know, sitting there jumping or looking away and ignoring them, yeah. that's different than if you try to engage them with just a smile. 
Right, so there could be there could be that a fear of not being able to communicate with someone very well or just the unknown, someone you don't know, a stranger, you have that little bit of fear of like, well, I, I'm inadequate to talk to them, say, you know, almost like a Moses complex where he's like, I'm not good at speaking, you know, <laughs> and you maybe you feel that way. Yeah, that could that could cause you to react incorrectly. Yes. When we look at Jesus, we, we look at uh, where he came from all the way back in the beginning. And he was very rich. He was uh, the son of the father. And then when he came as a man, he was very poor. And that's who he went to. He went to the poor to make them rich, rich in faith. Yes, Jesus. So that's mm -hmm. the way we are. We are poor in spirit. But when we receive the word, we're rich. Right. Jesus went to the poor to make them rich, rich in faith, rich spiritually. Right. I, I liked that. That was really good. That's a good uh, way of saying what he did. He definitely did that. Did you have something, Maddie? Well, the poor don't always have something to give back to you. Right. But you can give so much to them if you take the time to deal with them. I, would, I grew up in a very poor environment. Very, very poor. And I noticed that the people with more money and more things, they stayed away from people like us. And, you know, they could have influenced me in so many ways if they'd taken the time. Yeah, but a lot of times, because of that outward appearance of and and richer people, and they may not even be totally rich. They could just be better off. Better off. Look at look at well, you and your neighborhood. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Rich is a uh, what do you call it? Subjective thing that relative to your position. Yes, Pat. Uh, I wasn't poor like Addie was, but I wasn't rich either. And I think, uh, in my own eyes, and probably you have seen it too, is the people that have been uh, poor living, uh, they're more willing to give to others because they have come from that situation. They've been there, done that, and so they sympathize with the poor. Yeah, people who come from a poor background do tend to... Um, appreciate what they have and want to give back and help other poor people because they have experienced that. They do remember that. I think we're that way in a lot of things, but, but being poor is one of them. But just like when you're injured or you're sick, you can easily relate to someone else who has that same problem or condition. So, I saw these are sample of this. Uh, when I was a Christian, I was attending this congregation they were um, middle class people. And then I knew this man from another place. He was poor. He was humble, the most humble person I ever know, knew. He came into the well-to-do people, and they turned their noses down at him. And now that's partiality. Of the two, I'd rather have been that humble man than the ones that uh, turned up their nose. Right, right. So you've seen that firsthand. See, I, I haven't, I haven't seen that, but that, that's a bad thing. We, we don't want to judge others based on, I mean, plainly based on money or any other superficial thing. It's not important. If you have all the money in the world, you're not going to take it with you anyway. It doesn't matter. But yes, Cookie. Years ago, I was in a, 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 a,
ago, my mother knew this family. They were very poor. There was five kids. They lived in a house, two rooms, and they would come to our house periodically to eat, and then my mom would take them back home. And to this day, they fondly remember things that my mother did for them years ago. Right. People will remember and appreciate the things we do for them. That's true. Now, maybe not everyone. It's not perfect, but most people, when they... When you meet their needs, when you help them, like we were speaking about earlier, they, they do remember that. They appreciate that. And it makes a, a big difference. Does anyone have anything else? Yes, Elbert. I remember back a few years ago, a famous man, I won't name any names, but his parents, their son was killed in service. Yeah. He was going to show his humility, you know, to, to, to bring him to his office and to shake hands with him and everything. And the report that the news put on there, that this man said, you know, instead of saying how nice it was there, he said to shake hands with him was like shaking hands with a dead fish. <laughs> now that... That was nothing but show. Right. He had no idea the sorrow this man had for losing his son in the service. That's just something that stuck in my mind. I can't get rid of it. Right. So this man had lost his son in the service, and then, you know, a, a famous or higher-up person wants him to come in kind of as a show, you know, to, oh, I understand. And it's kind of a show, a political show, and he doesn't really understand. And, and the man, you know, says, you know, this guy doesn't really get it. He doesn't understand. It's like shaking hands with a dead fish. Is that right? So, yeah. So sometimes things do are done for show and people don't really understand those things that we've been through that others have experienced. So, all right, so we'll move on past partiality, favoritism. We'll look at uh, question number three. Well, actually, this is still part of that, but that's okay. What example does James use to illustrate his point? And we've, we've talked all about this, so I'm just going to go over this quickly. Showing preference to the rich man over a poor man, right, in the assembly. And... The one reason it says that about their clothes is that back then, someone who was rich or well-to-do, they didn't like do a lot of hard labor, so they would have nice, clean clothes. Maybe they'd have a gold ring on their finger. They wouldn't necessarily be super ostentatious like some people are, but nonetheless, they would look clean, whereas someone who came in dirty, well, they, they probably worked for a living. You know, <laughs> They didn't have a lot of money, and they were working if they were even at a job. I mean, some of them could be poor and destitute as well, but nonetheless, that's kind of why that's mentioned the way it is about the fine clothes, because you could tell who was well off. They weren't working. Their clothes were clean and nice and bright. So, all right. Um, so then if we look at question number four, really, of what is one guilty when they show partiality? And this is, it's something to think about. I mean, it makes you think about the root cause. 
what's in someone's heart when they're showing favoritism and prejudice. Yes, ma'am. Judges with evil thoughts and kind of makes you think of all the Old Testament discussions about um, how judges shouldn't take a bribe and how important it is for judges to be impartial. But we're going to serve as a judge. We shouldn't have corrupt hearts. Right, right. If we're, you know, we, well, we shouldn't be judging other people in that sense because this is kind of a judging and condemning type of judgment. But, um, yeah, we become a judge with evil thoughts. We're making ourselves that person's judge, and it does show a bad thing in our hearts. It does show a bad condition. Yes? It, it really shows the, uh, the opposite of what Jesus tells us. Love one another. Love one Right, it does not show. Right, right. It does show um, like we said that it does show when you when you treat someone like that, you're trying to judge their heart almost on the basis of their outward appearance or some superficial thing you know. And it is with evil thoughts because that comes from a bad place. Yes, go ahead, Pat. Talking about um, where a person should sit or not sit makes me think of this, a situation that happened um, in another congregation I was at. We all sit in the same place every Sunday, right? We tend to, yes. Well. The one person that always sat a certain place came in late, and somebody that was visiting was sitting in their seat, and they were very rude. They made them leave and made them move to a different spot so they could have their seat. Okay. And I thought that was so rude and so selfish. Right. We do. We we do tend to come in and sit in the same spots week to week, but we should not be territorial over that. If we have a visitor come in and they have a seat, yeah, we don't we don't need to be running them off or making them move or anything like that. Right. That's that's pretty bad. All right. So our time is up. I'm sorry. We're going to have to cut this. I probably already went too long. Um, we'll pick up with uh, question five next week. Okay. Thank you for your time and your attention.